Welcome to the podcast, Cocktail Party Economic Conversations, with your hosts, Heavy Animate and Richard Maranta. Well, welcome back to uh, another episode of Cocktail Party Economic Conversations. Uh, This is dealing with Chapter 5, which is called The Absolute of Comparative Advantage. And I'm really uh, happy to have uh, Mark Eglinton here as a guest. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Good morning to you guys. Yeah. Hi, Mark. Uh, your your name on the Zoom says Doug. Is that like a middle name or someone else's? No, uh, I've actually taken over my father's office here. He's got a bit of an upgraded uh, Zoom setup versus what I have. So oh, I've okay, sort of yeah. negotiated to switch places with them briefly. All right. Okay, cool. Great. So yeah, so you're the uh, president at Euroline Appliances. So yeah, just uh, want to ask you a bit about, um, you know, y- what you do, your, what your company does, and then maybe just give us a sort of a little journey from University of Guelph to where you are now. And I promise there'll be no um, puns about appliances. You probably heard all kinds <laughs> about how you apply yourself and all these things. So I'm not going to do that. We're just going <laughs> to... I'm always up for a new, a new clever joke. That's good. Yeah. I mean. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank so, you yeah. very much for the introduction. Uh, yes, my name is Mark Eglinton, and I operate Euroline Appliances as president. Now, we are a nationwide importer distributor of premium European appliances. So you called out Doug earlier. He's my father. So I am second generation into this family-owned Canadian company. I've been working with Euroline Appliances oh, ever since high school. I was the rug rat running around the boxes in the back causing chaos. And uh, yes, you mentioned Guelph. I was a, a very fortunate graduate of the University of Guelph. Uh, after that, I moved on to do my MBA. And when I was, oh, 20, 25 or so, I actually ended up joining Euroline Appliances, decided I was going to jump in full time. And this is the career for me. So that was a good number of years ago, and since then, we have expanded our network from what was just an Ontario-based distributorship to a nationwide distributorship. And that's sort of where I got my feet wet with the company, was moving out to Vancouver and opening up our local distribution center in the West, which is what signified our transition from a local company to a nationwide company. Oh, wow. That I know was March you... 1st, 2012. Yeah, so I know you actually come to Guelph sometime in you know, talk at a strategy class. Um, so we're, we're talking here about trade and you actually really do care about free trade agreements, don't you? Absolutely. Uh, specifically the European free trade agreements. So how has that changed for you? Like what's happened since that came into, into well, play? Geez, there's, a, there's a number of different factors that lead into the positive and negatives of the European trade. Um, on the onset, what was very positive for us was the elimination of an 8% tariff for products coming out of the European Union. Um, now, I'm sure uh, you're all familiar with what happened, what was it, two years ago, a year and a half ago, something like that, when uh, our, our dear and beloved fearless leader of the American nation, Mr. Trump, decided to increase the, the tariffs for products coming from the, uh, the Chinese part of the world, from, from the PRC. And what happened there is that all of a sudden the costs exploded for our comparative, uh, our, sorry, our competitive brands out in the market, which gave us a, let's call it a comparative advantage price-wise versus products that are now available from Europe. 
Oh, so it's the relative uh, trade agreements that have really made a difference. They benefited exactly. you and they hurt your competitors. Yeah, now, you often it, don't think of that, right? You don't think of other deals uh, affecting other industries that's sort of not related. You know, I mean, you don't probably buy Chinese parts or whatever, but it's, yeah, that's interesting. Always trying to forecast what the other guys are doing. I guess that's how you play the game. Yeah. Now with high-end appliances, um, does it come over in one big piece or, or like you, you basically just distribute, but it's already produced. It's been made. That's right. We are purely an importer distributor. We have no play in the manufacturing except for minor modifications we might need to make in-house uh, in terms of any electrical components that come in that are originally designed for Europe but need to be adapted for North America. So we have a, a very, very small, let's call it an assembly line where we attach a new power cord. But beyond that, all of our products are typically made in uh, in different parts of Europe. What and, about uh, like question as well uh, what we'll do is we'll bring in full container loads of product so there's no onesie twosie shipping there's no way to gather economies of scale by bringing in just a few small products we're typically importing in full 50 foot containers and we'll bring in probably five or six containers a week wow yeah are, lots you, of are you involved in like maintenance and repair too like when you think about these are european appliances right so people might think okay if i buy this appliance how Am I going to get it fixed? Because we had this Ikea faucet or whatever, and the, the plumber, it wasn't working right. And the plumber said, oh, you know, I can't fix this. It's too old and whatever, right? So do you guys deal with that at all? Absolutely. So in the appliance game, uh, I think a lot of consumers are gun shy purchasing lower quality items because they know that in today's world, it's more of a throwaway society versus uh, a society where we can actually fix and repair items. Now, units coming from Europe, there is a transport cost in order to bring them over, and then you have to play with the exchange rate as well. So typically, a European product is going to cost a little bit more out the gates. Now, what we've done internally is we formed our own specific service network that handles our products alone. We don't work with other brands. Our service network only works with the products that we bring in. So what we have is we have a specialized workforce to deal with that, which is very much different than pretty much everybody else across Canada who, if they have a problem, they'll reach out to a service technician. But the problem is that service technician might work with 50 or 60 different other brands out in the market. So they might be very good, jack of all trades. But when it comes down to fixing that niche problem, we need a specialist on board. So fortunately, what we've been able to do is actually turn our service network from, uh, let's say we've, we've adjusted it from an intrinsic cost for operating our company, and we've actually turned it into sort of a marketing tool under the basis that when you buy a product from the Euroline portfolio, you know you're going to be able to get the best backend service in the unlikely event if something does go wrong. It's what? interesting because I bought your, I actually have this washer and dryer and I've had their service people in here. And one of the selling features was uh, most of your service guys are Dutch. Yes. <laughs> and I'm Dutch. Yeah, I guess. So anyway, it was really funny. And, and I covered and, your appliances. I, I just can't right now, can't afford them, but I want those appliances. <laughs> well, yeah. the good thing is I know a guy in wholesale. I might be able to help you out. Okay. <laughs> well, what was Free really, trade. yeah. Uh, what was really interesting was uh, that um, we actually had someone who wasn't their appliance person who tried to install it and they got it wrong. So we actually had to finally get the right people to come and do it because they just did it do the right thing. 
and I, anyway, it, I, I have to admit they're a different, um, you're bringing in a very unique product that is a higher end. So you're mostly what selling to high-end condos or high-end yeah. homes? I'd say we have two primary demographics that we sell to. Um, we've sort of diversified our business into two markets. Let's call them the retail markets and the multi-residential pre-construction market. Now, the first one is, uh, I think it's the same scenario that we are all used to. You go to a store, you need a unit, you walk in, a sales rep helps you. If they're well-educated, they can orient you towards the right product to fit your needs. It's not always our product. That's why they're specialists in what they do. They can help you, the consumer, find the right product. And we like to think that our portfolio will offer a number of solutions and we can reach a wide demographic. And uh, we've been very successful in the retail markets by being able to offer that portfolio. On the other side of our business, which is multi-residential pre-construction, we will work with our retail network to supply directly to developers uh, who will be constructing, you know, if you look at Toronto, for example, constructing buildings that are 500 suites for the entire building. So we'll work in that landscape and we'll have forward contracts that can be up to three or four years out which has its own set of problems when it comes to forecasting exchange rates and arbitrage and all that fun stuff on the back end. But uh, it does obviously provide a significant level of volume. And that's why we're able to achieve economies of scale by bringing in large numbers of containers. How many, how many units are in a container? Like if you're reading five or six a week, how many, how many pack in? Well, if we're looking at something as large as a built-in refrigerator column, for example, that is 36 inches wide before packaging, 84 inches tall before packaging, we can only fit about, ooh, I want to say anywhere between 54 to 70 on the container. But if we're looking at our SMEG kettles, for example, you know, we're up in the quantities of like thousands, thousands on a container. So it really, it depends which product and which factory we're working with, because another factor in that landscape is that not all factories produce all products. So if you're trying to achieve a full container load, you have to really overcommit from one factory in order to get that full container. So we, we do have large warehousing facilities. Uh, we are currently moving out of four warehouses. We finally built our own infrastructure out in Brantford. Uh, and we're moving into a 55,000 square foot facility out there. Uh, and that should be able to hold all of our inventory without any more space concerns. Wow. Uh, Mark, so <laughs> what, what determines your demand? Like, like right now, obviously, I mean, I think people are going to remember COVID, even if they're listening to this like next year. But like, how, how is that affecting your business or, you know, things changing? What's the demand like for your products? So we've seen a bit of an inverse relationship between our two product demographics, uh, and those two demographics are major domestic appliances and small domestic appliances. So majors would be stoves, ovens, uh, cooktops, fridges, laundry machines, and small appliances would be kettles, toasters, stand mixers, hand blenders, little things like that. So on the major appliance side, with everybody sort of being stuck at home and not having an opportunity to really go out and shop product in person, the market has made a bit of a shift towards lower end product that is more cost effective, which would make sense in this turbulent time where people aren't able to bring in the full income that they may be used to. So I would say uh, March... April, May, and even leaking into June, we had some pretty negative months where shipments were put on hold. Everybody was a little bit gun shy to take product. Any orders we had in the system were subject to pause or delay because people can't get contractors in to work in their home because it's just not safe at that point in time. 
and possibly they don't have the money to actually follow through on that order. So they've just said, hey, can we put the brakes on this for a minute? We need time to recover. Now, in that period of time where people are sitting at home and they're looking around their kitchen and maybe they do have some dollars to spend because they're not going out for dinner or drinking or partying or spending with their friends or whatever happens to be vacation. I'm still drinking. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't stop. I just was at home. (laughs) I make a lot of coffee at home. You guys do cappuccino machines and that kind of stuff? Maybe maybe the drinking is what's inspired people to hop online and commerce, <laughs> and all of a sudden buy these maybe a little bit more expensive items than what they would usually get. And I'm talking about the Smeg product that we that we carry, where they have a very unique aesthetic made in Italy, but uh, definitely cost cost quite a bit more than your standard run of the mill product that you'd find at a at a mass uh, big box store. So in this period of time, we've not only seen increased shipments for those products, we've also brought on a number of large new clients, uh, including a couple of giants. Not sure what I can really say on this uh, on this webinar or not, but let's just no say problem. we've got some some really really big guys that are nationwide. Um, they have a that that fun logo. It shows up to your door almost by drone. So uh, we we've got some really really great outlets there. And uh, we are just shipping an incredible amount. Our volume in that landscape, we're up. We've already exceeded last year's total shipment summary in in terms of small appliances. So what's the hot item? Kettles and toasters, for sure, are the number one velocity items. And our new drip coffee machines, which are beautiful. They they sit on the counter. They look awesome. They got that retro style. People are going nuts over it. Coffee. Coffee is addictive. I was going to say, um, I... Yeah, like I, I used to go to Starbucks, right? I love coffee, really good. But I've been buying really high end coffee because I think, oh, I'm saving a fortune, so I'm gonna, I'm getting this really good coffee, and I could see that happening. People are trying to build that experience at home, right, that they had at Starbucks. So that's pretty interesting. I think that's really interesting. I, I actually like really pretty, um, you know, yeah. small like kettles, and and uh, I have to take a look because. Uh, I need a new toaster. <laughs> oh, my toaster is so ugly. I just thought I need a new toaster. And I yeah. think I'm only toast on one side. So I think I need a new toaster. I'll go check it out. There <laughs> are some old toaster products coming out soon. Sorry, Rick, please go ahead. I no, no, I, no, it's good. I didn't say, I was just saying we got an old crappy toaster oven. So I'm going to check it out too. So, <laughs> yeah. so uh, one of the fun new products that we have that makes, I think this brand so much, uh, such recognizability to it is they've actually recently formed a partnership with Dolce and Gabbana. I know it has the, I actually told people if I was retiring, I wanted their, um, um, their toaster because it's this very ornate. You have that ornate. Yeah. Oh, so if you're if you're ready to spend uh, nine hundred a thousand dollars on a toaster, <laughs> then we have, we have the product. For you. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'm ready to do that. You better like... get higher end toast too. The bread's got to be better. You don't want to put Wonder Bread in that toaster. I don't Please. buy. I buy very uh, good bread. Yeah, so... take a second mortgage to toast your bread, right? I know my colleagues when I showed them this that toaster, they all looked at me like I was crazy. They said, "Okay, when you retire, we'll all chip in." And that's yeah. What is this toaster? It's like gold inlay or something? Like (laughs) oh, it's this really beautiful. uh, Anyway, but no, that's I I don't think I'm ready to spend that much on a toaster. But people were then during the COVID crisis, people were buying that toaster. Mm -hmm. Wow! Wow! Designer appliances. That's interesting. That's right. Yeah, small appliances, not the big ones. In fact, they've actually expanded it to a, a range hood and fridge now. So you can get this crazy aesthetic. 
on it. It's uh, it's a little bit wild. Don't know if I can wake up to it every morning, but it is eye-catching and show-stopping at, at trade shows. Yes, I could see that. I, I think marketing, I'm... Marketing, marketing, marketing. Yeah. So we're, when all this is sort of the dust is settled, what do you see, what do you see coming back and what do you see going forward? So this last month, uh, so we're, we're uh, early August here for anybody who's listening. Last month, July, uh, that's when we saw a lot of economic activity bounce back in our markets. Now, I don't think that July was a particularly large sales month. What I think's happened is actually we're seeing a lot of those shipments that were delayed just come through in July. So those those three months that were leading up to it that were pretty negative, that were delayed that I mentioned earlier, I think that's when we saw those shipments trigger and we just had a, a massive clear out of our warehouse. So a lot of product went out. It was our first really, really positive month and possibly one of our best months on record. Uh, unfortunately, it's not uh, a culmination of demand coming through. It's delayed shipments, but still, I'll take a win when I see one. <laughs> <laughs> so getting back to sort of trade uh, negotiations and free trade agreements, yeah. um, that took a long time coming to get. Now, it's called CETA, right? Yes. Yeah, so, Canadian European Trade Agreement. Yeah. So that took a long time coming. And uh, and big reason why you want uh, trade agreements is it does have ease of... Um, you know, you're not putting tariffs or quotas on product moving across. Uh, has Brexit affected you at all, given this is a European? No, so it had nothing not in England. No. None okay. of our products specifically are made in the UK. They're all made in uh, other parts of Europe, specifically Italy, Portugal, and uh, Germany and Austria. Oh, so do you get to go visit? I do, actually. <laughs> uh, it, it's funny. We, we typically get to work uh, a trade show out in Germany at the end of August or beginning of September. It's called IFA. And wouldn't you know it, there just happens to be another fun event that happens in Germany at that specific time frame. So we go out, we have a great time, we check out all the new products, get uh, the rundown from our suppliers, and then we go and cap it off with uh, a beer in those big tents. Yeah, but this year you can't. No, I know, it's tragic. <laughs> you know the world's in a state uh, of... <laughs> I don't know what the right word is, uh, uh, fear when Oktoberfest gets canceled. Yes, yes. Yeah, you're going to have to start getting into those keg machines, home keg machines. That you can <laughs> Actually, now that you mention it, with Smeg's new collaboration, one of their other partners is Disney. So what we have in our new Western showroom, we have actually tapped a Mickey Mouse Disney fridge, and I've put a little keg tapping uh, piece of equipment in there. And now when we go out there, it's like Mickey's pouring us a beer. <laughs> it's funny when you own your own business you have to be kind of turning on a dime because stuff happens mm -hmm. you know and then you have other situations where you you have a world leader who suddenly you know puts a tariff on aluminum and you know they so the a lot of these international agreements they happen at a high level but it affects the little people because it's actually Absolutely. the little people who trade it's not leaders who trade it's not like you know trudeau's buying a fridge it's just he's, just, he's just making the rules so i can buy a fridge you know mm. and you can sell me the fridge and not have to charge me eight percent because to get it here cost a bit more right that's right so that, that's actually really interesting that you mentioned the aluminum tariff that was imposed yeah. uh, that actually created another advantage for us intrinsically because we don't purchase any products from the united states so you can imagine once the increased tariff was levied onto that and it was a significant tariff 
uh, any products that were coming up from the States all of a sudden had to be shotgun increased in price to levels that really, I don't want to say push them out the market, but definitely a significant price increase, which again, created a comparative advantage for little old Euroline. Wow. So it's kind of like you've had a good year and a bad year. Like it's been a <laughs> story of our lives, I think. Yeah. I was thinking about this, um, about comparative advantage, I guess also just in terms of your intel and your knowledge of these products, you also are probably always looking for, are you looking for new products or, you know, that would be appeal to this demographic that you're targeting? Like, I guess your research has to give you that advantage too, right? Rick, you're totally uh, hitting the nail on the head with that one. A big part of us operating as a distributor is sourcing new products to sell into the market. Uh, our brands that we work with now that we've been working with for many years, they're actually brands that produce in their home territory, but don't sell outside of it. So that's where Euroline comes in. We bring in the products that are factory direct and we bring them into the territory at the factory direct prices. Whereas a lot of these factories will actually sell to our competitors, at which point they will put an increased margin on, uh, they'll put their brand name on, they'll put their own service fees on, and all of a sudden the same, literally the same product is gonna cost you 30, 40% more. So that's your lines, I guess, comparative advantage when it comes to bringing in uh, products from the factory direct. Now, uh, second part of your question there is at some point in time, I guess we'll have to realize that it doesn't necessarily make sense to just keep on increasing your portfolio. I think mm. a big part of our success is actually focusing on the products that work well or best for us or provide the most economic activity within your line. So I would say that within the last three years, we probably reached our our new local plateau. I don't think that we, with the current infrastructure, could actually scale up to handle any more brands or product demographics because we are operating as a very lean company. By definition, that's how we've gotten this far. So we would have to, I think, change our operation pretty significantly. If we were gonna bring on any increased brands, we'd have to do a whole other layer of marketing. We'd have to have new sales administration, uh, sales staff, new administrative staff, and we'd have to form up a whole secondary website. So just an infrastructure we can't handle. We're running at critical mass. So right now we're not pursuing any new products. Anything that our vendors will create new will absorb into the portfolio. But that's, uh, we're happy where we are, I guess is the best way to say it. I was going to ask you, so your dad must be very proud of you. <laughs> well, I guess that's uh, going to change day by day. Not good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think he's really happy that he's able to uh, sell off the company to the second generation. I think that's probably most mm -hmm. individual parent slash business owners, I, I guess, dream to, to do that. Now, we fortunately have a great relationship. We've been working together for, you know, 10, 10 plus years formally and more than that when I was working part time out back. So we, uh, we get along beautifully. We have a great professional relationship, great personal relationship. And I think one of the benefits from that is that the positive morale that's generated there, I think, spreads out to the rest of the staff. So we have a good vibe around here. That's yeah. great. I just heard that Belinda Stronach has made a deal with her dad. So I'm I'm happy to hear that you didn't have that kind of rift happening. No, no, fortunately not. Of course, you probably don't make the kind of income those two make. But... Trying. Yeah, just, just a few more fridges, guys. We'll get yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. But it is interesting. A family business is a really unique kind of situation. It can make or break, right, your company. And your family, like, you yeah. know, it's, I, I know I popped in one time and chatted with your dad and it was, uh, I could tell you guys had a, had a good thing going. 
Also, your one thing I should just mention because it's good for people to know that your company, your family, actually donated a scholarship to Guelph to our yes. uh, yep. yeah to so in third year students if they take a certain cluster of courses if they have the highest mark in that cluster they get a they get some money so uh, that is always appreciated when people give back so that's great and a toaster. I don't know. Yeah, you should give out toasters. <laughs> is there a lunchroom that we can place one in? I no. think I think it would get stolen. <laughs> That's what they used to give out back in the day in the fifties, right? You get a free toaster if you uh, signed up for a bank account or something. Like that. But not those. Oh, toasters. perfect. Those toasters. <laughs> well, perfect. they weren't giving out those toasters. I'll no. tell you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, this. this- I just wanted to say um, um, thank you, Professor Adame. Um, one of the reasons we decided to give back was because I, I got my start at the University of Guelph. Obviously, it laid the right foundation for me to get to where I am today. So if we can give a few dollars back to the community and see the new generation come up with success and keep our economy strong, it's a win-win-win for everybody, in my opinion. Yeah, I know. It's just uh, great. I always like it when people give back. I now have started to tell students when they graduate, because I teach at the third year as well, when you guys go out and become really successful, create a scholarship. Remember us. <laughs> I used to not say that, but as I got older, I thought they don't always think about the fact that um, there's all these students who could, you know, probably use a little cash because going to school oh, yeah. has become expensive. So that that's really great. Anyway, getting back to, actually, in comparative advantage, I would say uh, this is, you're talking about goods. I think one of the comparative advantages that Canada has is that we have this great educational system, and that has allowed us to have a workforce that, a lot, that brings knowledge to the table. And um, they were saying in this recent COVID downturn that the jobs that are not affected really are the high-skilled jobs. They're, they're the average wage of people who are working has increased because the people who have lost their jobs are the low skilled jobs. And that's, and that's why getting skilled is so important because it protects you in a downturn um, totally. significantly. So totally. I'd say skilled uh, as well as, um, sorry, I was, re- I was reading your, your uh, chapter from your book last night, which is great, by the way. And <laughs> one of the things I noted in there was that you mentioned that not everybody can have an absolute advantage, but you can achieve a comparative advantage. And I would say that this whole COVID epidemic has been sort of the great equalizer out there because what we're seeing on retail floors and, and leaking into what you just said is we're seeing that the highest skilled people are retained as the staff. Now, these people might not be the most educated. They might not have the most credentials to back them up, but in their specific roles, they are the best at what they do. So you're going to find the ones that maybe weren't able to drive that level of sales on the retail floor that their management team would be looking for. They were obviously the first ones to be let go or advised to stay home during the pandemic, whereas the people that were able to convert those sales uh, with the higher velocity were the ones that were encouraged to stay on the floor. So mm-hmm. I think that that's a, that's a great example and specifically is exactly uh, what, what your book is all about, uh, and at least this chapter. Yeah, no, it was great. Well, this has been a very lively conversation, and uh, I'm really um, thankful that you could join us, and um, I'm... I am sure that uh, your company will do well and you you will sell a lot of toasters. Thank you you very much. Thank you. Uh, 
keep an eye out on the shopping channel. That's the that's the next one coming up. A big live live broadcast on that one. That's a good one for us. All right. Well, yeah, you can see online is going to become really significant. That's mm-hmm. never going back. I've become an online shopper, and I realize hmm, it's going to be hard for me to go back to stores. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. Anyway, we'll take care, and uh, and uh, we will chat another time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Mark.